standing at a book table in the lobby uh, one year at the Zoe conference, and, and we were looking at books. I know, it's pretty exciting. And uh, my friend, he, he picked up a book, and he said, huh, that's interesting. And so I was intrigued by his reaction, and I said, well, what's interesting? He said, well, this book was written by a former professor of mine in college. And I said, well, that's keen. And he said, well, the interesting part is that he wasn't a very good professor, and he's the last person on earth I would expect to ever be able to write a book in the first place. And the lady standing next to us said, that's my husband you're talking about. <laughs> Can you say awkward? And so my friend tried to recover and said, oh, well, if I buy the book, do you think you could get him to sign it for me? Yeah, not happening. Um, have you ever been talking about someone and then that person walks into the room when you're talking about them and, right, and, and, and it surprises everyone, it's awkward, isn't it, right? Hey, we were just talking about you. You know, you try to recover through that. Well, see, the 11 remaining disciples of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday, they're gathered together, hiding in a room behind locked doors, and Jesus is about to stand among them. And it's going to get a bit awkward. In fact, the presence of Jesus there in that room, they will be frightened and fearful, just as if they had seen a ghost. So let's rewind the tape a few minutes, and if you have your Bibles, let's return once again to close out our series this morning in Luke chapter 24 as we're looking at Resurrection Sunday and the appearances of Jesus to his followers on this day. The third day dawns, and as far as the followers are concerned, Jesus is still dead. His body is still in a sealed tomb. And so dying along with Jesus are their hopes, are their dreams, are all of their expectations of deliverance. And this was the last thing they would have ever expected to have happened for it all to have ended this way. But really, it should have been the first thing that they should have expected to happen because Jesus certainly gives them plenty of warning, plenty of advance notice. Repeatedly, Jesus repeats, I will suffer, I will be killed, but on the third day, I will rise from the dead. And so the morning light signals the arrival of the third day, and three different groups of people are about to come face to face with resurrection realities. Death has been defeated. Scripture has been fulfilled. Salvation has been given, and Scripture has been fulfilled. The Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world, and Scripture has been fulfilled. And yet, even among the closest followers of Jesus, they have yet to grasp the magnitude of the events of this day. They have, they have scattered when the shepherd was struck down and Scripture has been fulfilled. 
So let's take a look at these three encounters. Two of them we've already considered, so we're just going to move just quickly through them just to bring everybody back up to speed this morning. Luke 24 opens with some women followers of Jesus who are headed to the tomb, and their aim, their goal, their mission is to care for the body of Jesus. See, they expect to find the dead body of Jesus and care for this body as was the custom of the day. Instead, they discover an empty tomb, and they're perplexed. Suddenly, angels appear to them, asking them perplexing questions. The angels say, why do you seek the living among the dead? The women are are frightened. The angels say to them, he's not here. He's risen. Now, if you look at verse 6 in your Bibles of Luke chapter 24, look at what the angels say in response to the women. He is not here, but has risen. Now, look at this last line. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. So the first thing the angels do is they remind these followers of Jesus of what Jesus has already said. And then the angels repeat the message that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified, but on the third day he will rise from the dead. Now, Have you ever had these moments in your life, these aha, these light bulb moments? Have you ever experienced this where where suddenly you get it? So, for example, those of you who are teachers and, and you're working with a student and you're trying to convey a specific concept or a principle to them and you're, you're going over and over and over, and you, and you know that moment when you see that the student gets it? That, that moment right there. I mean, that's a lot of reasons why some people teach. It's just for that moment right there. It's the aha moment. It's this light bulb moment. And this is about to happen for these women at the tomb. As soon as the angels tell them, remember what he said, the light bulb comes on. They have their aha moment. And the Bible tells us, it's actually in in verse 8, if you want to look at it, and they remembered his words. This is such an important detail. It really is. I mean, it changes the purpose of their visit to the tomb. It changes their mission. And so this is our first glimpse at the power of resurrection. And so what we learn here in this episode is that resurrection, it does two things. First, it changes perspective. It changes perspective. And the second thing that resurrection does is it changes purpose. It changes purpose. These women are different now that they've come and encountered this event. And so this one thing, remembering the words of Jesus, if you'll look in verse 9, it says it sets them on a different mission, on a different course, and returning from the tomb, they begin to herald the news. They begin to tell the gathered followers of Jesus everything that had occurred to him. Now, have you ever wondered how you can encounter Jesus today? Have you ever thought about, now, how can I have this experience with Jesus? How can I encounter him? And you do so, the angels in this story, they give us the clue as to how that can happen for you today. 
You see, it's in the words of the angels when they say, remember his words. We encounter Jesus today in a real and visible way whenever we immerse ourselves in the truth of Scripture. Especially when we're taking the time to read through the Gospels and think slowly and deliberately, prayerfully, thinking about what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is teaching. So I want to invite you once again to join us in this next 21 days with Jesus. Join us as we seek to know him through the parables that he teaches. Join us as we try to encounter Jesus today and set about this purposeful method of remembering what he said. Remembering the words of Jesus changes the course for these women. And so the scene in Luke 24 changes because now if you look in about verse 13, the scene shifts now to two followers of Jesus and they're traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about a seven-mile journey. They're They're processing through the events of the day, of the weekend, really. Now, we don't really know why they're traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus. But we do know that they're talking about everything that has happened along the way. And in the midst of this conversation, the Bible tells us while they're talking and discussing these things among themselves, that Jesus himself draws near to them and journeys with them. Now the Bible says they don't recognize Jesus because their eyes are kept from recognizing him. But yet, here in the presence of this stranger, they pour out their hearts to him. Sometimes it's easier to talk to somebody you don't know than somebody who knows you well. And they're pouring out the contents of their heart to this stranger. They're talking about their dreams. They're talking about their hopes. They're talking about all of their unmet expectations. You see, as they explain, it's now been the third day and we have not yet seen him. If you look in verse 21, we see a description of their mental state. It says they're sad. They're they're disappointed. They say we had hope. We had hoped. And then in verse 23, it's really interesting. They say that some women have seen a vision of angels saying he was alive. See, it's hope crushed. It's, it's disappointment. They've, they've heard the report of the women who came back from the tomb. But you notice the words? They're still struggling and trying to process that it might have just been a vision that they saw. That they didn't actually see something that happen. I mean, maybe they believe that they saw what they saw, but, but we haven't seen him, so did it really happen? Now, what I want you to notice in verse 25, Jesus is going to do three things here. He's going to do three things to challenge their thinking, to challenge their perspective and their theology. The first thing he says, foolish ones. Okay, remember, as far as they're concerned, this is a stranger talking to them. And after they're done, the words of the therapist, the words of, can you see yourself on the couch? You know, you you, you say everything, and the first words out of the therapist's mouth are, you silly, silly, silly person. 
That's essentially what's being said here, Jesus. Says, oh, foolish ones, why are you slow of heart to believe what the prophets have spoken? And then if you look at verses 26 through 27, the second thing that Jesus does is he shows them how to interpret Scripture. And he says, listen, the entirety of the Scriptures are about the Christ. And then the third thing he does in verse 30, if you'll look, is that he shares an experience of table fellowship with them. Oh, and here it is. These two followers are about to have their own aha moment. The light bulb is about to burn quite brightly and strongly over their heads because the Bible says in verse 31, their eyes are opened, they recognize him, they recognize him in the breaking of the bread. And do you know what they do? Do you know what they do in that exact moment? They do the exact same thing that the women at the tomb do, except they have to walk seven miles to do it at night. They go back to Jerusalem to share with the gathered disciples and other followers of Jesus everything that had happened to them. They find them where they are, and their news to them is the Lord has risen. They share everything that had happened to them on the road and how they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. Now, this last section of Luke 24, or as Ray Stevens would sing, meanwhile, back at the hotel, This final section of Luke 24, it's an interruption. It's an interruption. You see, look in your Bibles in verse 36 as they were talking about these things. See, it's the two who have returned from Emmaus at night and they found the disciples and they're sharing everything that they have experienced that day with Jesus. And as they're talking about these things, we interrupt the regularly scheduled program. It's an interruption. As they're talking about these things, Jesus himself, Luke says, stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Now, I want you to do something. Just turn to the person next to you, in front of you, behind you. Don't get up because it's like takes you 10 minutes to get everybody back. Just, which is a good thing. It's a good thing. Just turn to the person next to you and say, peace to you. Okay, was anybody frightened by that? I mean, did that scare anyone to hear these words, peace to you? See, it's, it's remarkable because Luke is telling us, and he's being very deliberate and specific and intentional by telling us two things right here. First, that Jesus stood among them. He's choosing his words carefully. And the second thing that he's telling us is that Jesus said to them. He said to them. Now, throughout this third narrative, Jesus does several things to confirm to them that he is who he says he is and that he is the resurrected Lord. But let's look at these first two. First, Jesus stood among them. It's not that he appeared before them or hovered around them or or floated in their midst. Luke is making a point to tell us that Jesus stood in bodily form in their midst. And that second, Jesus speaks to them, and these are the three words that he says to them, peace to you. It's an interesting choice of words, right? 
I mean, when Neil Armstrong stood on the moon, he said, one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. And those are his immortal words. And when Jesus stands in this room, his first words to his gathered followers are peace to you, shalom to you. The grace and the goodness of God be upon you. And the followers are so delighted that Jesus is there and speaking to them. Look at verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Now, in the original uh, Greek language, there is a little bit of a word play occurring here. Because in the original text, it actually says something like they were terrified and terrified. They were terrified upon terrified. It's saying they were afraid and then they were afraid, right? Fear level here, fear level here. They're terrified and terrified. They're afraid and they're afraid. They're, they're troubled. And Jesus said to them, peace to you. And they're terrified and afraid. You remember in, in, in the book of, in the gospel of John when Jesus is talking and he, and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled because I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And so I'm the way that you can not only have access to the Father, but I'm the way that you can have peace. I'm the way that you can have the goodness, the grace, everything good that God has to offer. This is the peace I bring to you, the shalom I bring to you. But they're they're startled and afraid. The Bible says they think they've seen a ghost. I mean, there's definitely something strange in the neighborhood here as far as they're concerned. Do you, um, do you know what this is? Do you recognize this reaction? I don't expect you to remember this, but we started our series with this story. They're back in the boat again. They're back in the boat, and the wind is against them, and the waves are against them, and Jesus is walking on the water toward them, and their first reaction is to cry out in fear. Almost the exact same language being used, saying, it's a ghost. Now, here's what I've wondered. Why do they react this way? Why are they having this reaction? Was it because they were not expecting to see Jesus alive after three days? I mean, the women had said that he had risen. The, the Peter and John had gone and seen the empty tomb. As, as far as the two travelers are concerned who had already seen Jesus, they claimed that, that Peter had also seen Jesus. So why is it that they are so startled and they're so afraid in this moment? You know, some people say, well, maybe it's connected to the way that Jesus appears among them. See, they're behind locked doors. John 20 tells us this. At the table in Emmaus, Jesus had disappeared. And here in the gathering of the disciples, Jesus had appeared. So some people say, well, well, they're startled and they're afraid because did Jesus pass through the walls? And yet there he is standing among them. I mean, maybe this is why they're frightened. Maybe this is why they think he's a ghost. I've, I've been trying to think through this, and I wonder that what if the struggle of the disciples is not just about the possibility of resurrection? Think about it for just a second. 
What if the struggle of the disciples in this moment is not just about the possibility of of resurrection? I mean, in the Old Testament, there are three examples of people being raised from the dead. The widow of Zarephath's son, a Shunammite woman's son, and and, and here's a great one. Uh, Some guy dies and they throw him into Elisha's grave and he pops up and says, I'm not dead yet. So there's three instances in the Old Testament of people rising from the dead. And with their time with Jesus, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Jesus raises the widow of Nain's son from the dead. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So I'm, I'm trying to work through this and say, well, what if the struggle of the disciples in this moment is not just about the possibility of resurrection? What if the struggle of the disciples is also about the possibilities of resurrection. Here's what I mean. Okay, the Sadducees were a group of religious people in the Bible in the time of Jesus, and they didn't believe in resurrection. They, they believed that the resurrection of the dead was, you know, fairy tale. Didn't happen. It's, it's interesting, right? Religious people who don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so uh, in, in Luke 20, it's ironic then that the people who don't believe in resurrection, they come to Jesus with a question trying to trap Jesus, and it's a question about something they don't even believe in. And, and, and they tell Jesus this story about Elizabeth Taylor, and they're asking when Elizabeth Taylor reaches the resurrection, I know I just set a really age, you know, threshold for this one here, but, you know, I just try to reach all people. And they say, well, when Elizabeth Taylor is resurrected, uh, which husband will be hers? Because she's had like 70, right? And so that's the question they come and they ask Jesus. When the resurrection of the dead, they tell a story, you know, brother had seven, you know, wife had seven, whatever. Which one will be? And and here's the response that Jesus gives them. If you want to look at this and really have some challenging things to think about, You can read about it in Luke 20, and you can also look at this in Matthew 22. So here's what Jesus tells them. He says, well, first of all, you're wrong. There is a resurrection. And secondly, you don't know anything about resurrection. And thirdly, you don't know anything about the power of God. And probably uh, soon to follow, you don't know anything about the Scriptures. Now, this is Jesus talking to a group of religious people. He presses the point further by saying there is a resurrection and resurrected people will never die again and resurrected people will be like angels. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it makes my head hurt, right? Because I don't understand it. I just don't. I just can't. I can't get my mind around this. Because I'm thinking, I mean, he could be talking to us, right? Because we don't understand it either. I'm not sure that we're wired to fully understand it right now. Because the lives that we're living right now, even in Jesus Christ, we're living in the shadow of glory. We're living in the not yet, but that which will be. And so when Paul tells us that in this moment, in this day, resurrected bodies, the perishable, will become imperishable. That which is broken will be renewed. That which has been marred will be restored. It's 
It's hard for us to fully understand the power of God and resurrection because we don't fully understand the Scriptures. And it's hard for us to fully understand the Scriptures because we don't fully understand the power of God. But the good news is we don't have to understand it for it still to be true. And to long for and to hope for and to anchor our hope in. So yes, maybe the struggle of the disciples is they don't comprehend the possibilities brought to life with resurrection, pun intended. But there's one more thing I want you to see. There's so much happening in this moment. How Jesus is showing himself to the women, how Jesus is showing himself to those on the road, how Jesus is showing himself to the gathered in this room. And, and if you take time and read through these scriptures, you notice that he, in one case, he leads with education, teaching. In one case, he leads with experience. I mean, Jesus is approaching his approach to these followers in so many different ways to show them who he is. He's giving each one of these group a glimpse of resurrection reality. But also, he's explaining the power and the purpose of God with resurrection. See, they struggle with doubt, they struggle with fear, they struggle with skepticism, they respond in fear and fright, but they have their own aha moment. And it's great. Look one more time, chapter 24 and verse 41, which says, And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? I like this verse. I really do. I mean, this verse brings me so much comfort and so much hope, right? Because this is us. It's talking about us, right? I believe, but help my unbelief. See, the Bible says they're still disbelieving, but with joy, they're marveling. They're not fully there yet, and there is no expectation that in this encounter with Jesus, they need to be. You know, I, I can't wrap my, round, my, my mind around this fully because it's, jo- it's just so much for us to try to comprehend, but you know what? Okay, I don't understand resurrection. I don't understand all of this. And so I have a little bit of of angst in my heart because of it, but there's more joy in my heart because of it. Because I believe him, because I trust him. So I think it's okay. Give yourself a break. You can be confused and marvel all at the same time. You can. You cannot be entirely sure and still rejoice and have hope in who Jesus is. Now, why? Why do they have this reaction? Look at verse 40. Because verse 40 says, And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Okay. This is the key right here. This is it right here. Jesus offers himself as proof of resurrection, but he offers his hands and his feet of greater proof of resurrection. Have you ever wondered why Jesus shows them his hands and his feet? And it's not necessarily why he shows them, but it's what he shows them. He shows them his hands and his feet because he still has scars. He still has scars. And I thought, well, why does Jesus still have scars? This is part of the mystery of resurrection. This is part of the power and the purpose and the plan of God. 
Yes, this is part of one of those things that we struggle to understand, but, but listen to this. Whatever scars you're bearing now, hmm, they will be redeemed. They will be redeemed. This is how salvation and redemption works. Jesus is showing them his scars in his hands, the scars in his feet right now, because he's explaining the greater story of redemption. And in so doing, he is explaining our story that some way, somehow, God will take everything wrong and make it right. Some way, somehow, God will renew, He will remake, He will reshape, He will reform all things new. Some way, somehow, God will turn every failure, He'll turn every mistake, He'll turn every sadness in our lives into joy. We will join the trees and the rivers in rejoicing and celebrating renewed creation because every failure that we have ever had in our lives, God will redeem for his fullness. Scars and struggles on the way, yet in our hearts we will say, never once did we ever walk alone. Let's pray. Father God, may we experience the truth and power of redemption and renewal. Even, Lord, even now in the scars of our life, would you give us a glimpse, a glimmer of resurrection hope. Lord Jesus, I ask you to engage our hearts with the power of the gospel, with what you have done for us and how you in that day, will make all things right. So, Holy Spirit, teach us to trust you even though we cannot see. Help us in our struggle to believe that with joy we can marvel and place our faith in you. Through Christ we pray. Amen.